The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here's your top five out of five. Futures under pressure as investors remain laser-focused on this week's May inflation number. Morgan Stanley Chief U.S. Economist Ellen Zentner is here. Call it a sign of things to come, one major central bank implementing its biggest interest rate hike in 22 years. Bruised, but still standing. As British Prime Minister Boris Johnson survives a no-confidence vote, a live report from London ahead. Elon Musk getting some help from Texas. See questions Twitter's honesty about its fake account problem. Later, talk to me, Goose, and take me to a lawyer. Legal trouble for the Tom Cruise Top Gun blockbuster movie as it continues to soar at the box office. It is Tuesday, June 7th. And this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. It is good to be back with you on this Tuesday. Let's kick off the hour with a check on the markets and your money. And right now, stock futures, they are down across the board. This after slight gains for the major averages on Monday. So if things hold the way they are, Dow futures down 94. We could basically just give back what we gained yesterday. We've seen a lot of that so far in 2022. Now, on Monday... Stocks did bounce around a bit as bonds move during the session, and right now the 10-year yield is just above 3%. The Fed meets next week, and so we're in a quiet period. There are no Fed speakers this week. Enjoy, by the way, but it also means we could see some added volatility. In the oil market, crude and nat gas continue to be big stories. Crude is higher once again this morning, up above 119 bucks per barrel. Natural gas, though, it may be the larger inflation problem. It continues to rise. It's above nine bucks now at nine thirty six per unit. There are predictions for potentially hotter summer in the south this year, meaning more electricity and natural gas demand. And of course, nat gas is used in probably, I don't know, 75 percent of the products that you buy or use on a daily basis, not the least of which is lights and heat and air conditioning. All right. In the crypto world, we are seeing Bitcoin and Ether, both lower Bitcoin Still kind of stuck at that level under 30,000. Let's go now around the world. The show is called Worldwide Exchange, after all. Mixed session overnight in Asia. It had South Korea fall more than 1.5%. Plus, maybe some big news from one central bank. We'll get more on that in just a moment. In Europe, though, it is still early, of course. But they are trading, and most major averages there are opening up in the red. We are actually seeing the British market higher by ever so fractionally so much. All right. More on the markets and your money in moments. But first, let's get your Tuesday going with some of your top headlines that are happening right now, including another lawsuit against the London Metals Exchange and more from Apple's big event yesterday. Savannah now is here with that and more. Savannah, good morning. Good morning, Brian. Good to have you back. Brian, the Reserve Bank of Australia overnight raising interest rates at its fastest pace in 22 years and signaled more tightening to come as it continues to battle surging inflation. Wrapping up its June meeting, the Australian Central Bank boosted its key cash rate 
by 50 basis points to 0.85%. That was well above the 25 to 40 basis points economists had been expecting. The RBA had already lifted rates by a quarter point back in May, its first increase since 2010. One of the world's biggest market makers, Jane Street, is suing the London Metal Exchange for more than $15 million in damages over its decision to cancel a day's worth of nickel trades back in March. The move by Jane Street follows a $456 million claim made by hedge fund Elliott Management and adds to the growing legal headaches for LME owner Hong Kong Exchanges and Clearing, which vows to fight the allegations. And Apple lifting the curtain on a slew of new products at its Worldwide Developers Conference yesterday, including revamped MacBook Airs and MacBook Pros with a new, faster M2 chip. Apple also announcing new operating systems for its hardware products across the board, as well as a new buy-now-pay-later service. This was Apple's first in-person developer conference since the pandemic began, Brian. Yep, and like that, it is good to be back as well with you, and good to see you, Savannah. We'll see you in a few more minutes. Thank you very much. All right, take care. Thanks, Savannah. All right, let's now get back to your money and these volatile markets. The 10-year Treasury yield, it is back now above 3%. All that, of course, is all of you await that key inflation report later on in the week and maybe some of the clues that it may provide on the next steps the Fed may take on raising rates and quantitative tightening, selling off some of their bond holdings. For more, let's bring in Matt Maley. He is chief market strategist at Miller Tayback. And Matt, we got kind of a nice respite this week. No Fed speakers. I mean, it's been pretty much every day or every daily, Fed pun intended, coming into this week. Uh, how much is the Fed sort of playing puppet master with this stock market right now, if at all? Well, I, I think they're playing in a, in a big way. I mean, <clears throat> I felt last week uh, there were some talks that maybe they were being a little bit less uh, Akash, I don't, I don't really know where that came from because basically everything I heard was 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 adamant that they're going to stick with uh, uh, fighting inflation. They're going to you know even signal that that not just two more fifty basis point rate hikes, but even a third. You know maybe one in September. Uh, and uh, you know I, I guess my, my my biggest concern out there is that, that some of the people who are saying a reason to be bullish is that the Fed is going to is going to stop. Uh, you know, they're not going to tighten as long as people thought, or as, or as aggressively as people thought. Well, they're telling us right now is that they are. So therefore, the only reason why they wouldn't is to be number one, if we had a, you know, some sort of freezing up in, in the fixed income markets, uh, markets like we saw in 2018 and 2020, uh, or if the economy slows down so much that the, uh, uh, you know, th- that they need to come in and, 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 and stop tightening so much. Both of those instances takes the stock market a lot lower before they do it. So if you're looking for somebody, if you're looking for the, the Fed uh, to stop tightening uh, or not, to not be is aggressive uh, later this year, uh, yeah. you should actually bearish, not bullish. Okay, why does it take the stock market down? Has the stock market not already priced in an economic slowdown? I don't know, not at all. As a matter of fact, all they've really done is priced in the uh, the fact that we no longer have the stock market. I'm sorry, we no longer have the Fed. Uh, adding you know massive amounts of liquidity into the marketplace. I mean, we started the year at 22 times earnings, now we're at 18. That's still on the expensive side of things. And the e, you know, with the economy having been, I'm sorry, with GDP estimates uh, in the last six to eight months have been cut in half. 
uh, it's only a matter of time before the uh, earnings estimates come down. So really, if that E part of the PE comes down, like I think it will, uh, we're not trading at 18 times earnings right now. We're retrading at 20 times earnings. So it really hasn't priced it in. We're getting a one-two punch. The first punch was one from, from the, the Fed removing liquidity that took the market well above its underlying fundamentals. The second punch is going to be that slowing in the economy, and that's going to bring us a lower, uh, I think, with lower lows before we bottom. Sounds I mean, listen, Matt, we talk a lot about inflation. We've been talking about inflation, by the way, for about a year and a half on on this show. Uh, How confident are you that the U.S. economy will slow down? Could it surprise you to the upside? Well, of course, anything can happen. But, uh, you know, right now we're looking again. This is the inflation is supply uh, driven. That means we have stagflation. That causes stagflation. People say that you know stocks are a positive or, or a uh, uh, you know a a hedge against inflation. I, I don't know what planet they're living on. It's 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 only a, a hedge against inflation when it's uh, demand driven inflation. We have supply driven inflation like we had in the 1970s. That wasn't good for the stock market. I don't think it will be now. I, I don't want to sound overly bearish here. I just some of the reasons that people are thinking that, that the market's going to you know, rally from here uh, just don't seem to add up to me with GDP uh, growth estimates coming down in a serious manner. Everybody's looking for the economy to slow. Whether we get to recession or not, I, I don't really think is all that important. Yeah, you wonder if we'll go from 80 miles an hour to 40 or 80 miles an hour to 10. There's a big difference for that and the markets. Matt Maley and Miller Tabak. Always a blunt view. We appreciate it, Matt. Thank you very much. All right, on deck, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson surviving yet another test as he stays in office. Plus, cut down to size. And what could be your chart of the week? It's only Tuesday. Maybe the stock to watch coming up. And later on, Elon Musk getting some help from Texas as he questions Twitter's honesty about its potential big bot problem. Very busy hour. Still to go. Futures, they're down. We're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson narrowly surviving a no-confidence vote yesterday. It was triggered by members of his own conservative party. Now, while he still may be in power... He certainly didn't emerge from this unscathed. CNBC's Steve Sedgwick joining us now from London with more on the vote and what this may mean to Johnson and the U.K.'s entire agenda. Steve. 
Yeah, really good morning to you, Sally. Look, this is quite extraordinary for a man who is the Harry Houdini of British politics. He's a serial escapologist as well, but can he do what neither Theresa May or one of his heroes, Margaret Thatcher, couldn't do? Can he survive a no-confidence vote and just move on from it? Because both of those historical uh, Tory MPs and prime ministers both faced confidence vote, both won their confidence vote, both won them uh, by a better margin, Thatcher in 1990 uh, and Theresa May at the table end of 2018 by a greater margin than Boris Johnson survived yesterday. But the problem is they both lost their jobs within six months afterwards. Thatcher in 1990 on the back of the poll tax dispute as well. Uh, Theresa May because she just couldn't get her party behind uh, all of the issues, uh, especially Brexit as well. And Boris Johnson is, if any politician is associated with Brexit, it is he as well. But he wants to move on. So let's listen to what the prime minister had to say post the vote. I know that, you know, people want to talk about stuff that goes on at, at Westminster. What I want to talk about is what we as a government are, are doing so to help people. And no, what we're going to do now is take the opportunity to unite and deliver. And, and Sally, just to put it in context, 148 of his own MPs voted against him as well. But if you take away uh, the government members, the people actually on the government payroll, out of the 211 who voted for him, you're only talking about 40, 50 MPs who actually voted for him from the back benches as well. The scale of the revolt was much larger than anyone expected here in the UK. You know, I'm looking at the uh, cover of Sky News, Steve, and it says this is the end Prime Minister told exit just a matter of time as Tories descend into civil war. How bad politically could it be there at a time where, where you guys, and by the way, many parts of the world, cannot afford to not have clear policy focus with regards to energy, inflation, Russia, etc.? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, the end is nine, maybe. This is the man who only in 2019 carried the Tories to their best victory, an 80-seat majority, the best victory they've had in over 40 years as well. We're not actually due another major election, a general election here in the United Kingdom, until the tail end of 2024, start of 2025. So this is unprecedented, the speed of the demise here. Boris Johnson can't just move on from this, by the way. There's a parliamentary committee which is still investigating whether he lied to Parliament uh, about the parties in Downing Street as well. Uh, that won't have its results uh, until the autumn as well. Plus, coming up this month, in literally a couple of weeks' time, we've got a couple of by-elections, uh, a couple of small elections for individual uh, constituencies, yeah. which the Tories held. And if they lose them, oh, my goodness me, then he could be under even more pressure. I know, Steve, the weather just looks beautiful right there in June, of course, in England, but it was a rough winter for many with energy prices up. You talk about this all the time. You've been talking about it for years how big is the energy problem, the energy cost inflation story? Is that a part of the narrative against Johnson, that really UK's energy policy, and I'll, oh, and I'll say this from across the pond so, so nobody so. can throw something at me, was bungled, bungled. Yeah, look, I, I hear you. I, I was looking at the, the prices in there's a, there's a there's a Chevron I think in Mendocino, California, nine bucks sixty five for I think it was a gallon of regular gasoline. It's a huge, unprecedented prices. Yeah. It's the same on this side of the Atlantic. We've got diesel prices, gasoline prices, council tax prices, food prices, a heating bill prices. Well, you're absolutely right. The weather here is absolutely stunning. But on every single level, we have figures matching your inflation problem in the United States, and in some measures exacerbating it. I'll give you one very quick example. 
producers will indulge me. There is a pay dispute going on locally between the refuge collectors, the bin collectors, uh, and indeed the local council. The collectors are being offered 17%, 17% pay rise, and the actual, they want, the unions want 30%. That is the scale of the problem. Compare that to 1970s, uh, and then you can see we're actually, in some measures, back to where we were 45 years ago or so, and that is incredibly worrying yeah. for the likes of any government, let alone one struggling because of concerns about lying about parties during uh, COVID. I, I know, and, and you've got the cost of heating probably in October going up again, so, which basically will make it a doubled. I mean, tremendous. By the way, Steve Sedgwick, picking out the most expensive gas station in America. That's why we love you, Steve. Steve Sedgwick, thank you very much. <laughs> All right, take care. Still to come on this busy Tuesday, a winning bid for Kohl's. Has shares of that retailer popping ahead of the open? Full story when Worldwide Exchange returns. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash methane. All right, welcome back. Time now for some of your big money movers on this Tuesday morning. Stock number one is Peloton, the company hiring Liz Coddington, an executive from Amazon Web Services, to be its next CFO. She previously worked for both Walmart and Netflix. Peloton's current CFO, Jill Woodworth, is leaving after more than four years at the company. Stock number two is BuzzFeed. Shares are recovering of it today after they collapsed 41% yesterday. Ouch. That is a lockup period for executives and major institutional investors expired. BuzzFeed went public through a SPAC deal in December. Spokesperson says the company has very low float, number of shares outstanding, and few owners of its stock, making it sensitive to extreme moves when major investors sell. Its stock is $2.34. And Kohl's, the department store chain, in exclusive talks to be sold to Franchise Group. That is the owner of retailers like the Vitamin Shop, Buddy's Home Furnishings, and Sylvan Learning Center. A deal could be worth nearly $8 billion or about 60 bucks a share. And also, we are watching Wells Fargo. The bank is reportedly pausing a hiring policy that requires recruiters to interview a diverse pool of candidates. Because the New York Times revealed such interviews were often fake and conducted, even though the job had already been promised to somebody else. According to a memo seen by Reuters, CEO Charlie Scharf told Wells Fargo that the bank also plans to conduct a review of its diversity slate guidelines. Fake job interviews at Wells Fargo. Hmm. All right, let's get a check down some of this morning's other top headlines outside of Wall Street. NBC's Philip Mena is in New York with those. Good morning, Philip. 
Hi, Brian. Good morning. New York is wasting no time enacting new regulations to try and prevent gun violence. Governor Kathy Hochul signing 10 gun-related bills into law on Monday. They will raise the age requirement for semi-automatic rifles to 21, strengthen red flag laws, and close some loopholes. Not a controversy in the golf world. After a four-month hiatus, six-time majors champion Phil Mickelson announced he will be joining the PGA Tour's rival golf league, Live Golf, for their first tournament. It's a Saudi-funded organization whose CEO is Greg Norman. The tournament kicks off this week in London with 48 golfers, including Dustin Johnson and Martin Kamer. The first prize winner will take home $25 million. Finally, Prince Harry and Duchess Meghan Markle have released a new portrait of their daughter Lilibet in honor of her first birthday over the weekend. The family, along with three-year-old Archie, celebrated while in the UK for Queen Elizabeth's Platinum Jubilee. That's it from here, Brian. Back to you. All right, there you go. Philomena, thank you very much. Have a great day. All right, coming up, Morgan Stanley Chief U.S. Economist Ellen Zentner is here. Her take on inflation, interest rates, the Fed and where this entire American economy is going. And throughout the month of June, we are celebrating Pride Month as we head to break here at CNBC producer Brandon Gomez. Change requires persistence. After I came out to friends, I knew my family had to be next. At first, my mother was confused. Struggling with her religious beliefs, she even told me if I had a child, they wouldn't be her grandchild. It was hard to keep coming back to these conversations, but I did. And with time, she started to embrace my truth. It may not always be the case, but the way people react at first is not what they'll always believe. Change is possible. Stocks facing a pullback as nervous investors keep one eye on inflation, the other on the Fed futures they are down. Potential bot backlash. Twitter facing a new investigation over alleged fake accounts. Elon Musk threatens to pull the plug on his takeover. And your morning RBI on how mortgage rates and gasoline prices may hold the key to where this entire American economy is heading. We'll introduce you to the rule of 10. It's on this June 7th, and this is Worldwide Exchange right here on CBC. All right, welcome or welcome back and good Tuesday morning, just about 5.30 here on the East Coast. Thanks for joining us. Let's kick off the hour with a check on the markets and your money and stock futures. Looking like we may just give back everything that we gained yesterday. Markets did rise across the board, not a lot. Dow up, what, 111 points or something like this. And right now, Dow futures are down about exactly that much. NASDAQ futures off as well. Long way to go, and it's early, but that's kind of been the way this market's gone the last couple of months, right? Up one day down two days the next kind of like the game shoots and ladders you get up a little bit then you hit that slide we'll see the way it goes this after stocks like i said did gain a little bit yesterday even with the benchmark 10-year treasury note above three percent and we are still there 10-year yield at 3.02 percent the federal reserve will meet next week of course an interest rate right hike is not guaranteed but we'll call it basically 99 point something percent because the fed meets next week There are no Fed speakers this week, which means we could see some added volatility in the oil market. It's not been volatile. It's pretty much just been straight up. And crude oil is higher again right now, just under $120 per barrel. Natural gas, of course, which goes into so many things used to make power, chemicals, resins, plastics, whatever it may be. It is up again as well at $9.36 
And there are some predictions for a hotter summer in the South, meaning more air conditioning demand, more electricity demand, and likely more natural gas demand. All right, now to some of this morning's top stories. Texas's attorney general announcing his office is opening an investigation into Twitter over its bot accounts on the platform. Ken Paxton's office saying the probe will look at whether Twitter's reporting on the number of fake accounts is false, misleading, or deceptive under state trade rules. Paxton announcement is coming the same day that Elon Musk threatened, through his lawyers, to back out of his $44 billion deal to buy Twitter over concerns around fake accounts and bots. Also happening now, the SEC is reportedly preparing to unveil major changes to the stock market and overall parts of how it operates. According to the Wall Street Journal, Chairman Gary Gensler is expected to outline those ideas in a speech tomorrow morning after directing staff last year to find ways to make the market more efficient for small investors and public companies. The journal says one idea that has gained momentum is requiring brokerages to send most individual investors' orders to be routed into auctions where trading firms compete to execute them at the best possible price. And there's also this. Paramount Pictures is being sued over the new Top Gun movie. The family of the man whose magazine article inspired the 1986 original film is suing for copyright infringement, claiming the studio failed to reacquire the rights after the article and they expired in 2020. The lawsuit seeks unspecified damages, including some profits from Top Gun Maverick, which has pulled in more than $540 million globally since its release. All right, from that to let's talk about cryptos like Bitcoin, because details crossing this hour on a long awaited partisan bipartisan rather bill marking some of the first concrete steps by Congress toward regulating crypto and digital assets. Elon Moy joining us now with more. Elon, good morning. Well, good morning, Brian. The first comprehensive crypto bill in Congress is being introduced today, and the goal is to establish standards and clear regulatory lanes for this rapidly evolving industry. Now, the Responsible Financial Innovation Act is sponsored by Republican Senator Cynthia Lummis of Wyoming and Democratic Senator Kirsten Gillibrand of New York. It tries to distinguish between which digital assets should be considered commodities and which are securities. Under the proposal, fully decentralized cryptos like Bitcoin and Ether are commodities and therefore regulated by the CFTC. Digital assets that qualify as securities would be overseen by the SEC. In addition, the bill requires stablecoins to maintain 100 percent reserves in, quote, high quality liquid assets and to provide regular public disclosures. It also creates a process for banks to issue stablecoins and a special charter for other financial institutions to do so as well. Also notable, there's a government study of energy use in crypto. That issue has become a huge political vulnerability for the for the industry. Agencies must also look into the possibility of a self-regulatory organization for crypto. And there's a de minimis exclusion of up to $200 so consumers can buy things with digital currency and not have to worry about the impact on their taxes. Now, Gillibrand has been working with Lummis on this bill for months. Lummis has been kicking around these ideas for even longer. But both of these senators know they have a long way to go before this bill becomes law. But, Brian, they have been working behind the scenes to shore up support and at least start this conversation. Back over to you. Yeah, a lot of questions here. Number one is you, you talk about the bill being bipartisan. Does crypto fall kind of squarely into any party lines, one more than the other one? 
Yeah, it actually really doesn't. The lawmakers have been talking to folks across the spectrum about this issue. They say they've spoken with everyone from Mitch McConnell to Ro Khanna, one of the most progressive members um, in the House. So there are a number of folks who are interested in trying to find a way to regulate this industry in a way that doesn't stifle innovation, but that also protects consumers. And so you're really seeing the interest come from some unlikely sources, even Lummis and Gillibrand are some sort of unusual partners on a bill like this. Um, so I think that it is good news for the crypto industry and in that they have lots of different advocates in different corners of Capitol Hill. But at the same time, there is certainly skepticism coming from Democrats in particular over the consumer protection provisions of, uh, for the crypto industry. Well, let's highlight the positives and maybe not just good news for crypto, maybe good news for America, because maybe potentially, right, we found a topic that both sides can sort of get around. Kind of? Hello? Kind of, sort of, Brian. I'm not holding my breath. We'll take it. It's a kind of, sort of, kind of day. We'll take it, by the way. It's better than no. Hello, boy. Thanks very much. All right, let's move on. Apple making some surprises at its annual developers conference, but it had nothing to do with software. The company venturing into the buy now, pay later space, compete with a firm in Klarna. Apple also announcing big changes to the operating system for iPhones and iPads and an overhaul for one of its best-selling MacBook computers. For more on the key takeaways from the event, let's bring in Alex Kantrowitz, founder of Big Technology and a CNBC contributor. And I guess, Alex, we'll start with the negative and what we kind of thought we might get, but we didn't. And that was some kind of, you know, augmented reality headset. What happened? Well, Apple is waiting to release the perfect device, which is typical for Apple's culture. It wants to get it right the first time, as opposed to putting it in public and iterate. However, we're seeing other companies, companies like Meta, for instance, get a large head start on this type of technology. And when Apple comes in, we'll see if it's going to be able to catch up. Now, it was able to do that when it came in late on the smartphone market. You know, kudos to them. Um, but we haven't seen Apple create a category-changing device in the uh, you know mode of the iPhone since that time. And I don't think they're going to be able to uh, surmount Meta's lead anytime soon. Really, even if it's, to your point, the perfect product? Yeah, because I think that there are lots of limitations here that you're going to have to get around. First of all, I think that the category is largely overestimated. People are saying this is going to be the next big consumer device. I really see it as an enterprise device. You know, it's really nice to be able to sit in meetings with your colleagues in virtual reality or, for instance, something that Magic Leap is working on if you're a disaster preparedness organization to watch a wildfire spread, you know, and be able to make decisions in real time. But most people live pretty close to their friends and family. And so I don't really see them needing to spend time in presence unless they're gaming with them on virtual reality. So I think Meta is going to make these mistakes and learn quicker. And Apple is going to be pushing towards a consumer device. And I think it's going to realize its mistake a little too late. Yeah, we got things like widgets on the lock screen. I mean, these are these are nice tweaks, but they feel like frosting on the frosting. I mean, overall, Alex, was the event. It was nice. It was in person, sort of a hybrid-ish type in-person event. But but for the first time in in two years, do you expect maybe bigger things at the next one? 
I mean, I'd like to see bigger things. You know, the event, you know, we're looking at this in the context of where the market is right now. The event was everything you want to see from a market leading company like Apple, right? You know, uh, like you mentioned, gloss on the current operating system, some cool new features like you mentioned at the top, pay later, safety check where you could basically remove all the sharing in case you get into a bad breakup. And you don't want the person that you were with to be able to access all your, uh, you know, your files. Um, <laughs> However, everything that Apple introduced is not going to change the reality of the market right now, which is where we're going through a big valuation re-rating. Um, in the age of $3 trillion Apple Fed zero interest rate, this would have been great, but we expect yeah. more from them now, and it's not going to change the reality on the ground. And maybe messaging, text editing, so you don't get into that bad breakup in the first place. <laughs> Alex Kantrowitz of Big Technology. Alex, thank you. Good to have you on. Appreciate it. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, the answer to a question you hear some politicians complaining about a lot these days. Why aren't American oil producers pumping even more oil? We're going to find out. The CEO of oil and gas company, King Operating. But first, check out shares of GitLab rallying in the pre-market after reporting quarterly results at top analyst estimates, also raising its outlook. GitLab went public back in October with shares at 77 bucks. So, down 33 from that, but hey, they're up this morning. We're glad you're up with us. Dow Futures, they're not up. Now they're down 92, and we're back right after this. All right, welcome back. Let's get a quick market check as we watch shares of both AMC and GameStop. Okay, so why are we looking at these trader favorites? Because there's some new data out showing that overall short interest, betting the stocks will fall in those two names, is now at the highest level in a year, at 22 and 24% respectively. Shares of both companies are down sharply since the meme craze kicked off in early 2021. High short interest could mean two things, people betting it's going to fall, or the stocks can rally hard if those shorts get squeezed. AMC and GameStop, as always, two names to watch. All right, I'm back, and so is the RBI, the most random but interesting thing you may hear all day, CNBC style, of course, and today... This is honestly one of the more interesting charts and economic takes that we have seen in a long time. It goes straight to the big economic question. Is the American economy going to fall into recession? Of course, we can really never answer that with 100% certainty until after the fact, and it's already happened. But this is pretty interesting, and it comes via Strategus Research and Don Rissmiller's team. They call it the rule of 10, and sort of here's how it works. They went back 30 years, and they found that when mortgage rates and gas prices equal 10 or more, it tends to lead to either a big consumer slowdown and or a recession. In other words, you got a 6% mortgage and $4 gas, that equals 10, that's a bad sign. Now, of course, 20 years ago, gas prices were lower, but mortgage rates were higher. So maybe the makeup of the 10 may have been different, factor that in, but you get the idea. And here's when we've popped over 10 before. And if you're listening on the radio, can't see the chart, I get it. Strategus notes, though, it occurred in 1995. We were over 10 combined. No recession. 2001, it happened. Recession. 2008, when oil had the big spike and housing collapsed. Of course, recession or call it worse. And now we are basically there again. In some areas, gas is over 5 bucks, And most mortgage rates are above 5 as well. So this would be the fifth time. In 30 years that we have gone above 10 with mortgage and gas prices combined. Does this mean a recession? No, nothing is perfect. But it is another way to look at consumers 
that are getting pinched on two big expenses. And it could be the harbinger of a downturn to come. The rule of 10, something to watch, definitely random, but interesting. All right, also up in price, of course, is oil that goes behind gasoline. And now more than 80 trade groups, including the American Petroleum Institute and U.S. Chamber of Commerce, are calling on the Biden administration to act on policies to support energy security and increase domestic production of oil and natural gas. Let's talk more about it with Jay Young, founder and CEO of King Operating Corp, Corp, an independent oil and gas company with operations in the Permian Basin and Colorado. Jay, it's good to have you on the program. We know that oil production is going up. The federal government itself says we'll get the 12.9 million barrels per day on average next year. That would be a record. But now we're hearing politicians, even some on the left, saying, why aren't we doing more? So why aren't we doing more, Jay? Yeah, well, it's about ESG. It's about it's about people wanting to drill more efficiently. We're going to natural gas a little bit more. I mean, we're not drilling in the United States because of several reasons. I mean, the government, you know, the government's shutting us down. The the Exxon's and people like that are making huge profits, and they're buying back their stock instead of putting that money back to work in the in the oil field like they've done before. And you know, private institutions. I mean, you did hear Blackstone coming back and saying. Hey, you know what? Okay, we're we're done. We're we're going to start investing in oil and gas again because the numbers the numbers don't lie. The numbers are good. So if you have that, you're going to have people starting to come back, and they are coming back, but it's just slowly, slowly. So they but they will they will get there when they do. Brian, you're going to see prices you know start to come down a little bit, but it's just going to take. This is like an extraordinary time because you're not seeing people coming back and drilling like you did in the years past. So a little bit different this time. Why? And that's, I think, Jay, that's the question. What's changed now from previous cycles? Yeah, and I think it's because, you know, of all the green, all the, all the people that don't want to drill for oil and gas, people saying we don't want, we don't want the oil and gas. We want to, we'd much rather, you know, drive electric cars and, they're not. They're not admitting. I guess that that you know we do need oil in the United States. Not only not only for gasoline. I mean, we need it for asphalt. We need it for lipstick, plastics. There's so many other products needed, but they're just not willing to come back and and put it back. We're only about sixty percent of our rig count before the pandemic, you know. So we're not drilling for oil and gas in the United States. And until we really make that decision, and I did hear, you know, President Biden say something about tax breaks, tax credits, let's let's do some more to try to get the people in the United States back in the oil field drilling for oil again. I have I have heard that, but it's not like you turn a switch and all of a sudden oil starts popping out of the ground. I mean, it takes yeah. billions of dollars. It takes a lot to get things started and drilled and then put in the pipelines and things like that. So it just takes time. I've been to Midland, Texas in summer, Jay. It was about 108 degrees when I woke up, and I think the sun hadn't even come up yet. And I just thought working out in these fields can pay well, but it's a hard job. And then you see all the trucks with steel and frac sand and water and diesel generators. It's a hard business. It can pay a lot, but if you can maybe make similar money and work at an air-conditioned office now, my guess is many people are going to take that option. Do you think that the labor shortage that we're seeing across America in a variety of industries, but including oil and gas, is here to stay? Or will higher prices 
I mean, higher, high enough pay to bring people back to the fields. It, it will. And it is, it is coming back. And it's like the other day, somebody said that, that a brand new Ford pickup was delivered to the rig, you know, and, and so they thought, okay, well, hey, we're coming back. So, you know, when, when these workers make more money than they could two, three times what they could at the local Walmarts and things of that nature, they will start coming back. But it, it's, it's tough because when you're making really, really good money and all of a sudden prices go down and you get laid off, you know, doesn't make mama too happy, you know, when you, when you lose your job and you have all these bills. So it, it does take a lot. But when it comes back, it will come back. It's cyclical. I mean, I'm, I'm a fourth-generation guy. I've seen the ups and downs of Midland, and, and it comes up and it comes down. And I just believe this time that we're yeah. we're not we're, – we're not. John Malden said it. I mean, he said in his newsletter there's thousands of people that are talking about it's just not like it was before. And I believe this time we're going to see a downside in oil for a long period of time where, you know, it's like making investments. I mean – you know, protect the downside, let the upside take care of itself. We feel like that's where we are today. So we're going to see these prices, but we still have inflation, you know, and, and, and yeah. rising costs. I mean, we're up 10 to 30%, you know, 40% on some costs on drilling wells. Yeah. But we're, you know, it, it's costing more, but hey, that's okay. We have the commodity price to offset yeah. that. But an oil guy to say that people are coming back, production is likely to go up, and prices may come down. A refreshing view. Jay Young, King Operating. Jay, pleasure. Thanks for getting up early. Thanks, Brian. Take care. All right, different than maybe oil prices have peaked. All right, speaking of oil prices, we got some inflation data due out later on this week. And Morgan Stanley, Chief U.S. Economist Ellen Zentner, is here. Why she says, in the near term anyway, eh, not much can be done with these prices. Dow futures down 124. We're back right after this. All right, welcome or welcome back. Let's talk more now about the American economy and whether inflation has peaked or maybe is even going to fall soon and also the odds we fall into recession this year or next. Joining us now is Morgan Stanley's chief U.S. economist, Ellen Zentner. Ellen, good morning. I don't know if you heard the interview we just did with Jay Young. Kind of odd to hear an oil guy say, yeah, you know what? Oil prices may actually come down in the near term. That would be good news for inflation do you think that inflation has peaked? So I think when we get the report this week, uh, we are going to test highs or make a new high in headline inflation. But I think that, you know, the underlying details, that there are some areas that do continue to get to show some relief. Um, but overall, the bottom line is that headline inflation is high. And that's what matters for the economy. That's what matters for households. And increasingly, that's what's mattering for the Fed. I think we're past the point of stripping out food and energy prices uh, to show that underlying inflation may not be uh, as high. It's high and it's painful. And the Fed is acknowledging that. Yeah, I, I was out in Iowa recently talking about inflation, Ellen, and farmers were like, get ready because all the all the stuff that we grew with these sky-high fertilizer costs, most of it hasn't come to market yet. I mean, certain parts of inflation may not have yet peaked. Yeah, and I think that the, the fertilizer story, the agriculture story in the U.S., food prices, this is something we've been following uh, closely with a report out uh, just yesterday you know, pointing out that food prices, you know, disproportionately impact lower income households. Um, it is a problem. And it's not just about supply chains uh, for fertilizer and, and, and food. It's about weather, 
Remember, weather mattered most for crops, and it still matters most. We were already having a bad season leading into this uh, for weather uh, before all of these issues hit. And there are things that the administration is trying to do in order to alleviate that, but none of them affect the near-term costs uh, to families for food. Yeah, I mean, God, if we get a bad hurricane, by the way, that shuts down some refining capacity in, in the Gulf of Mexico, uh, with the SPR being sold off largely, there's still some in there, but it, it, there's a lot of things that are left to hope and, you know, whatever. Uh, next week, it's pretty much all but guaranteed, Ellen, that the Fed's going to raise rates probably a half a percentage point the next meeting as well. But quantitative tightening doesn't feel to me like it's getting an, enough attention. What's your take on some of the non-rate things that the Fed is doing and what they mean. Yeah, so I think the quantitative tightening, the fact that the Fed is shrinking its balance sheet, um, you're right, doesn't get a lot of attention. Now, maybe right now, because so little is running off, we've really started it at a trickle, uh, maybe that's why. Uh, And we hit those maximum caps with maximum runoff in September. And so maybe we only start to see the effect of those flows in September. I think the uneasiness I have with the balance sheet uh, is that it seems well-priced into rates markets, um, but it's not well-anticipated, the effects of it on equities and on corporate credit. That's coming from our uh, strategists of those asset classes. Those asset classes tend to not be impacted until the flows occur. And we've only just started to see that balance sheet uh, runoff. So that's going to provide some additional tightening. Um, I don't know how much it will factor into what the Fed does yeah. beyond the July meeting, um, but it is going to provide additional tightening. Yeah, and all these things just layer on. I was speaking with a colleague at CNBC yesterday in the office, and, and she's like, yeah, well, I was moaning and groaning about airfares because I'm flying again. And she said, yeah, we went, to, we went to Florida a couple months ago, and I'm done. We're done traveling for the year because basically we, we, we broke the bank on that trip, uh, you wonder how much of that is actually going through, how much of this sort of spending spree that we have seen, Ellen, and we know, by the way, about 21% of it is on credit cards. H- how long? that? I know we feel good, but how long can that continue until people just back off? Well, I think, look, we went through the period, a long period of pent-up demand for a good spending finally being satisfied. Now yeah. we've opened the the, the season for pent-up demand for services to be satisfied. Uh, you know, and, and you're right, right? We'll still take that trip, but we're going to pay three times as much for it. And there's a lot of price tolerance right now for households. Um, it starts at the lowest income levels, Brian. So we're already seeing demand destruction for the lowest income levels who are dealing disproportionately with food, energy, rents, you know, mm-hmm. with the Fed interest rates. You mentioned credit cards. In the near term, they're the ones that carry variable debt which is impacted by higher interest rates. Uh, And so they are the ones that have pulled back on the spending. But for a time, the upper income groups continue to spend. And the top income quintile represents 40% of all consumer spending. So unless the wealthy stop spending or until the wealthy stop spending, aggregate consumer spending looks okay. Okay, well, we're going to end it there because I like ending the show on the word okay because it makes me feel like everything might be okay. Ellen Zetner, you're better than okay. Thank you for getting up early and coming on. Always appreciate your views, Ellen. Take care. All right, maybe a little good news. Maybe spending can continue. All right, folks, we'll see that. That's it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. We'll see you tomorrow. Stock futures, I'm sorry to say they are down, but you never know what can happen. So tune in to Squawk Box. It's up next. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great day.
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.